here this morning to make a statement that we believe for it. We believe that you have the power and strength to overcome any and all obstacles in our personal lives, in the life of our city or state or our nation, the entire globe. You are still King of kings and Lord of lords. And we are here standing in awe of you and praising you because of who you are and what you have done and what you can do. I pray, God, that you would build our faith. God, that we would come into this place with joy and thanksgiving and praise and worship, knowing that you lift our hearts in praise. And as you are praised, we are changed. I pray now that you'll take the living word of God and that you will apply it to our lives, that it will become alive to each and every one of us because this is your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. A horse fancier was concluding the purchase of a prize steed in western Pennsylvania, where, as you know, they have an excellent reputation for raising magnificent horses. As they were concluding their arrangements, the farmer confided to the purchaser that this particular horse had been raised in an unorthodox command style. To get this horse to move, he said, you simply say, praise the Lord. I can relate to that, said the purchaser. I go to Eau Claire Westland Church. Well, after trailering the horse and proceeding on his way, he passed a beautiful section of the country and couldn't wait to try out his new acquisition. So he pulled over, untrailered, and saddled a horse to try it out. He mounted the horse and said, Praise the Lord. The horse began a nice, comfortable walk. Then he said again, he said, Praise the Lord. And the horse moved into a, a tight-spirited trot. He said, praise the Lord again, and the horse shifted into a perfect canter. He arrived at the, a broad area of the trail in this big field in front of him, and he just couldn't resist the opportunity. So he said, praise the Lord again, and the horse lurched into a full gallop. He was enjoying the, the power and thrilling ride across the field when he suddenly realized two things. Number one, he was rapidly approaching a sharp cliff and a drop-off. And he also, number two, he realized he had forgotten to ask how to stop the horse. As he was rapidly approaching the threatening precipice, he, he tried every command he could think of. Whoa, halt, stop. He even some, some words he had not learned at Eau Claire Wesleyan Church. <laughs> and at the last instance, as the horse was hurling toward the edge of the cliff, the new owner tried a final desperate insight, and he said, Amen! And the horse planted its hoofs and stopped just short of the cliff. And the man wiped his brow and said, Wow, praise the Lord. <laughs> We're in a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And we talked about how to be a counterculture, not a subculture. Now, if you're looking at that, um, that horse used Christian language. That was a Christian horse or whatever. That would be kind of an example of a subculture. 
you had to be understand being part of that subculture instead of a counterculture. We talked about the fact that we are a counterculture, not a subculture. Counter means we go against the flow, against the flow. Rather than melting in, we stand out. We're typically trying to actually change our culture. We talked about the fact that it's internals, not externals. Uh, this counterculture, the one that Jesus brought, is part of what's called the kingdom of God. Jesus is king. We are his subjects. But it's an internal kingdom. It's a heart kingdom. It's inside of us. So we may look like everyone else. We may wear the same kind of clothes, live in the same kinds of houses, drive the same kinds of cars, attend the same schools, work in the same offices, shop at the same stores. Externally, we're not that different in appearance. The differences are on the inside. It's the inside. Of course, it shows, hopefully, on the outside. Then we talked about it's, it's, it's about being, then doing. Man looks at the image, the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. It's really about being, which precedes doing. And then the fact that, number four, it's impossible. It's not possible. What Jesus outlines in the Sermon on the Mount, in this treatise, are ethics of the kingdom of God. And they are impossible to keep in human strength. In human strength. That's why we need God. And Jesus lays out these impossibles, then he offers the power to make them possible. Possible. We're called to be different. So different that we stand out in stark contrast to those around us. Now today we're going to continue that concept and talk about questions we have from time to time. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? What's my purpose? And Jesus is going to give us two concepts about who we are and what we do. These concepts have to do with character, who we are, resulting in actions. Now, believers, even all throughout history, were pretty much in the minority, in the minority. What do we do when we're in the minority? Well, if you're in Congress, you filibuster. But in our everyday lives, what do we tend to do in the minority? We're outnumbered, so we keep a low profile, lay low, hope no one notices us. We just want to blend in. That's what Jesus did, right? Well, not exactly. Jesus stood out so he made people so mad they killed him. That's what happened. What did the followers of Jesus do? The apostle Paul didn't blend in very well. He caused a riot in every city that he preached. Are we supposed to cause riots? Or are we supposed to blend in? That's the question. Maybe there's a better approach. So let's see what Jesus says about it in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, on page 786, in the Bible in the rack in front of you. Matthew 5. And we're going to read verses 13 to 16. Verses you are probably well acquainted with. Verse 5, chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. As we ask who we are, what what are we to do? He gives us two concepts. What we are to do and who we are to be. 
We're going to look today at salt shakers and light makers. Being and doing salt and light. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. It's a statement of fact. What does it mean? Let's look, first of all, at lessons from salt. Lessons from salt. Something we use almost every day. First of all is be salt. Let's look at the nature of salt. Be salt, the nature of salt. If we're salt, what is salt like? What does it mean to be salt? That's the question. Well, the nature of salt, the characteristics of salt, first of all, salt is pure. Salt is pure. It's unpolluted. Sodium chloride is a compound, and it has no other elements mixed into that. And for us to be salt in a spiritual sense, we are to be pure. That means we're single-minded, focused in devotion on God and God alone. We're unpolluted. No mixture of affections. We're pure. We're pure. Secondly, salt is different or distinctive. It's different or distinctive. The character of salt is different than the food that it flavors. And its difference can usually be easily detected. Now, I'm going to confess something I did in, in high school. Don't you do this, if those of you are in high school. But we loved to go into restaurants, and before everybody was seated, we'd be with a whole group of us, uh, somebody would loosen the top of the salt shaker. So when the first person gets their food, they go, and, oh, man, it's just all over the food. It actually ruined the food. Don't, don't do that to me, ever. But that's kind of what we did. It made the food inedible. You can usually tell if food is salted or not. In fact, a good chef will be insulted if you salt your food before tasting it. Have you ever done that? First thing you do, you get your food started, they go, oh, no, taste it first. But if you taste scrambled eggs, for instance, it's easy to tell if they've been salted or not. You can tell if there's salt in it. Now, we are salt. We, like salt, are easily identified. We should be easy to distinguish from our surrounding environment. People around us should know because there's a difference, easily discern that we are different. We're not just to blend in. We are going to be identified if we're salt. Number three, salt does not exist for itself. Salt does not exist for itself. Have you ever had a salt burger? A salt shake? Deep fried salt? Pro probably not. Salt is not an end in itself. Salt ex exists to be expended. Expended. It's expended for the benefit of something outside itself. And we as salt do not exist for ourselves. We exist for the benefit of others. The benefit of others. We don't exist for our benefit, for the others. Number four, salt can lose its saltiness or value. Salt can lose its saltiness or value. Now, today's salt, sodium chloride, is among the most stable of compounds. In fact, our government actually stores or wanted to store nuclear waste in salt caverns in Nevada. But in Jesus' day, salt was quite impure. And it was possible for that mixture of sodium chloride to leach out and lose its composition. And when that happened, it would leave this tasteless powder behind. It would leave its tasteless powder. And, and the main point is not how could salt lose its flavor, but 
if and when it loses its flavor, what good is it? What good is it? It's useless. And we are salt. We are salt. If we lose our character traits, our saltiness, our character trait of Christ-likeness, we lose all of our influence, and we can no longer make a difference. We can't make a difference. Now, those are some of the characteristics of salt. And he says, he says, be salt. Now, let's look at doing salt, the function of salt. Do salt, the function of salt. What is the function of salt? Number one, it penetrates. Salt penetrates. The first and main purpose of salt is to penetrate food. Now, one of the interesting characteristics of salt is that it can actually penetrate meat without becoming part of the meat. It penetrates meat without actually becoming part of the meat. It, it maintains its distinctiveness. And in order for salt to be useful, it has to penetrate. And in order for us to affect our world, we must penetrate our world with our presence. For it to make a difference, we must be in the world. And as we penetrate society or culture, we actually exert influence. We make a difference. In John 17, 15, Jesus is praying to his Father, and he says, My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Protect. In other words, he wanted his disciples, his followers, in the world. He said, I want you to protect them, but I want you to, them to be in the world. Now, for too long, we've isolated ourselves by staying separate from our world. It's an easy thing to do. It's easy to be a subculture instead of a counterculture. We have our own Christian radio. We have our Christian books and magazines, our Christian television, have our Christian concerts and Christian schools and universities, homeschool networks, Christian resorts and social clubs and churches. And we just never associate with anybody that's not in our world of Christianity. Now, there's nothing wrong with Christian radio or television or movies or schools and universities and resorts if they do not prevent us from being salt and doing salt, penetrating our society. Where do we penetrate our culture? It's everywhere we live, in our homes, neighborhoods, schools, offices, city services, gas stations, retail stores, businesses, in the government, person that's a doctor, a lawyer, construction worker, teachers, architects, homemakers. Every part of society needs to be penetrated. One of the, one of the misconceptions, and I, I've, I've tried to fight against this my entire ministry, is we have, we have clergy and we have laity. We have those that are supposed to lead and those that are supposed to follow. And, and the clergy, pastors, are supposed to do the work. Well, the, and the, the concept is fallacious. Basically, everybody is to have an influence in their area of influence. It's not just ministers. It's you are minister where you are. And if everybody was clergy, where in the world would this world be? We'd be a mess. Because there are no Christians anywhere else in our society. And I would encourage people and say, be salt, be who you are. Penetrate your culture where you are because you are Christ, you are salt there. Salt must penetrate to make a difference. So what difference is that? What difference? The second function of salt is number two. It preserves. It preserves. Preservation. Now, before the days of refrigeration, 
Most of us weren't alive then, but that's what happened. Maybe, no, I'm just kidding. Okay. Before the days of refrigeration, meat had a short shelf life. And meat, if it was exposed to the elements of air and sun, would soon decay. So salt was rubbed into the meat, made to penetrate the meat. And when treated with salt, meat could last almost indefinitely. Some of you know how smoked meat or salted meat is. Indefinitely. Now, just as meat, when exposed to the elements, will soon decay, culture, when exposed to the elements of evil around us, will also decay. And for that reason, Christians, or salt, must be rubbed into our culture, penetrating every area and aspect of life, acting as a preservative to keep culture and society from decay. It's been said the only way for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. The only way for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. We are a preservative. We're the voice of morality. We're the voice for justice. We are the voice to protect the unborn. We are the voice for truth. The truth. We're a preservative for our society. Where would America be where would America be today if Christians had not addressed the issues of slavery in the 1850s? Slavery in the 1850s. Where would it be? And, and let me just say something. The Wesleyan Church was in the middle of that. They were part of the Underground Railroad. The Wesleyan Church was active in, in rescuing slaves. Where would, would this nation be if we had not been active in the issue of slavery. How about civil rights in the 1960s? Abortion in the 1970s? Where would this nation be if we hadn't expressed a differing view of same-sex marriage or immorality? Is America decaying? Yeah, yeah, it, it is decaying. The trend of the human heart without God is always downward toward decay. You read the Old Testament, the nation of Israel. They would... They would be worshiping God, and then they would, everything would go great, and then they'd start saying, I guess we don't need God so much, and they would decay, and pretty soon they were apostate, and they would cry out to God and say, God, help us, and God would send a deliverer, and, and they would be helped, and then they would return to God, and the cycle repeats over and over again. The decay happens in every culture, every society, happens all throughout the Old Testament in the nation of Israel, God's people, of all people. America is decaying. The human heart without God is always towards decay. And one reason America continues to decay is there is not enough salt penetrating our culture. I didn't say there wasn't enough salt. There isn't enough active salt penetrating salt. Salt getting into the community, influencing for good and truth and right, stopping the decay, stopping the decay. A lot has been said about involvement recently in the last weeks at local school boards trying to address pornographic books that are being uh, put into schools, the lies of critical race theory, immoral sex education curriculums, all over the place. It's not that we don't have enough salt. We don't have enough active salt, penetrating salt. Forty years ago, there's a, a man named John... Goodland. He wrote a, a, a document entitled Schooling for the Future. And this ought to be educating to us. 
He said, our goal is behavioral change. The majority of children still hold the values of their parents. And if we do not recognize this pattern, if we do not re-socialize them to accept change, our society will decay. Well, he's talking about moral values, Christian values, traditional values. They have spent the last 40 years re-socializing children in the public school system. Public universities, it's everywhere. And all of a sudden, we get to something called critical race theory, and people go, wait, where did that come from? Hey, it's been happening a long time, a long time. Resocializing. The third function of salt is flavor, flavors. Salt adds flavor. If, if we add, where when we add food, salt to food, it's not so we can taste the salt, but so the food itself tastes more authentically as it should be. In other words, it becomes more real. It becomes more flavorful, more enjoyable. Our role in society is not to stand against it as much as it is to enrich or purify our culture, making it more, a more positive blessing for people. So people see our lives and they say, wow, your life is meaningful. You have a full life. You have a purpose. You have flavor in your life. You even have fun. What's with that? Fun. Oliver Wendell Holmes once said, I might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen I knew had not looked and acted like undertakers. There was a woman standing in line in a grocery store behind a man that had a somber, stern look, and she asked the man, Are you a minister? And he said, No, but I've been sick for about two weeks. Is that how people view Christians? Somber? Sad, sour, salt adds flavor. Salt adds flavor. Life, it adds fun. We have to enjoy life. We ought to have more fun than anybody, even in church. Okay? Now, some of you can do a better job of communicating laughter and fun and smiles to your face. I know you're smiling inside, but, you know, that, that, that whole thing, smiling inside. People need to know that Christians actually have fun and enjoy life. And salt adds flavor. We are that flavor. Salt also, number four, irritates. Irritates. Salt is an irritant. It has bite. It stings in the wrong places. I shared not long ago about a trip when I was in high school going to Los Angeles. We stopped at the Great Salt Lake and it was a hot day. I wanted to go swimming and I decided to do that and I, I waited out and I was used to clean, cool, refreshing lakes in Minnesota, northern Minnesota. I said, this is awesome. I went in, dived in, opened my eyes, and came up screaming. Salt, it, it irritates, it hurts, it stings. And as Christians, when we are being salt, sometimes we may irritate people. We may. Now, being salt sometimes causes people discomfort. Be aware of that, okay? I'm not advocating irritant evangelism, okay? That's not my thing. We need to be engaging, but just be aware that sometimes salt irritates. It irritates. When we say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through Jesus, we may irritate. And, and we didn't make that up. Jesus, Jesus said it. Jesus said, I am the way, truth, and life. Did you know that I, it's a very small percentage of millennials and younger believe that 
Jesus is the only way. A lot of people, a lot of people in many churches today, they say, well, Jesus is a way. It's, no, it, that's not an option. And when you say no, they say, well, you're closed-minded, you're bigoted, you're what? No, I, I didn't say that. If you, if you, you, you can be religious and you can believe whatever you want to, but you can't be a follower of Jesus and believe in Jesus and believe what the Word of God says and believe there are many ways to God. Jesus said, I am the only way. Now, that really irritates people because they say, you're being arrogant. No, no, I'm just telling you what Jesus says. That can be an irritant, but we cannot compromise on that truth. We cannot compromise on that truth. To say we believe that life begins at conception and abortion is murder, that irritates people. To say someone living with and sleeping with someone out of the opposite sex outside the covenant of marriage is sin, that irritates people. They don't like that. To say homosexuality is an abomination before God, that irritates. To say marriage is between one man and one woman for life, that irritates. All of this is from the Bible, God's Word. And also to say that God will forgive any and all sin if we truly repent. That irritates some people. Certainly there are others. I'm not as bad as them. And they, you know, no, God forgives all sin. And that irritates some people because they don't, they don't want God to forgive some sin. All of this is from the Bible or God's word. He said these things. We don't, we don't make them up. Now remember, these verses follow Jesus talking about persecution. As Pastor Josh talked about last Sunday. The challenge is don't lose your saltiness. Christians are already salt. You're already salt. Don't lose your saltiness. The challenge is not to become saltiness because saltiness is a gift from God. The challenge is to stay salty. Okay? It's easy to lose. For effectiveness, the Christian must retain his or her Christlikeness as salt has to retain its saltness. If we become too assimilated into our culture and we become contaminated with impurities, we lose our distinctiveness. We lose our, our influence. We are then worthless. Now I say worthless in function. We never lose value. We're always of value. But we become functionally worthless because we're not making a difference. If no one can tell the difference, internal or heart, working its way out to the external, we lose influence. We are useless in function. Lessons from salt. Let's look very quickly at lessons from light. Lessons from light. Be light. Let's look at the nature of light. Just a few things, nature of light. Number one, light cannot be hidden. Light cannot be hidden. He says, you are the light of the world. You are. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot hide. The darker the room, the more obvious the light. And those of us that don't want to stand out, oh, that's hard. The darker the room, the more obvious the light. Christians in America didn't used to stick out so much because we were in this Christian nation, moral values, all that. But I'll tell you, the darker it is, the more we stick out. As America decays and grows dark, we stick out more. And the contrast becomes more obvious. We cannot hide. Okay, Don't even try. 
in light. Number two, light illuminates what is in the dark. It exposes evil. It exposes evil. And there are, there are positive reactions and negative reactions when light exposes evil. Some people don't like the exposure of evil, especially if it's in their life or lifestyle or in their country. Number three, God is the source of all light. John 1, 1 to 5 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. That's Jesus. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. The light. Be light. Be light. Secondly, do light. Do light. This is the function of light. What does light do? First of all, number one, it removes darkness. It removes darkness. Giving light is not an option, so to speak, which the follower of Jesus may, may choose or not. It's part of being a disciple. And it's the very nature of light to shine. It's part of our nature to shine. When we are walking with Jesus, we're going to shine. Jesus in, said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And the interesting thing is, the one who makes us light is going to put us on the table. Okay? Um, God is the one that places you where you are. He may say, I, I'm a little obvious out here. The one light at my office, or the one light in my class. It's, well, you know what? God places light where he wants to. And like it or not, you're there. Okay, just, just say it. Okay? And he has a purpose for that. Light is placed by God. Number two, light exists for the benefit of others. Verse 15 talks about putting a light on a stand, lighting everything up. Gives light to everyone in the house. Now, the purpose of the lamp is not to draw attention to the light. The purpose of the light is to give light so everybody else can see. So, so if you're up there, it's, the purpose isn't to put you on the spot or so everybody can see you. It's because they need to see the light. And number three, light directs people to God. Light directs people to God. What we say, what we do, our light shines. People will see our light and give glory to God. When it says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. It doesn't say they may see your good deeds and say, oh, you're such a great person. <laughs> no, light always points people to God. And that's the purpose of being light, to point people to Jesus. All light points to God, and God is glorified. Salt penetrates our world where we are, and light shines where God has placed us. Be salt, do salt. Be light, do light. Let's remember that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you.